have your Bible, please open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I will gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Life spent. Imagine you're lying there on that bed thinking about your life. Can you recall the moments of your life that's most meaningful? Are you able to encapsulate, like summarize, what your life was about? How you live? Who were around you? Is any of the people standing around you, around your bed, the recipient of your life? And Paul spent most of his Christian life in prison, in our prison, and shipwrecked, and get stoned, and so it was an eventful life. And during the time that he spent in prison, he pondered the existential question, how did I live my life? How did I spend my life? What was it for? Who was it for? What's the purpose? What did I spend it on? Think about your money. You got those envelopes. And you look back when the money is all gone, you ask the question, well, what, did I, what did I buy? What did I use it on? Your life, if you think of it as a life's currency, at the end of it, the question is, how do you spend your life? What was it for? How was it dispensed throughout the course of your life? Why the apostle seems to squander his life on those who did not accept it, but even reject his love. Why would he do something like that? To understand the value of love, to understand what love truly is, you need to understand the cost of eternal damnation. It's not how valuable a thing is that you spend it on. It's how valuable it is to you. It might be nothing to other people, but to see something of no value to you, burn, destroy, what would you pay to recover it? That's what it means to love. Life flows from the streams downward. It doesn't flow backwards. There's only one way life will flow. In John chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus says, He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hated his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. The economy of love is this, that the value of the object of your affection, meaning the thing that you love, determines the cost, how much it will cost you. You sow life in the field of love by giving yourself, by emptying yourself out. That's how you spend your life. The places that you spend the most time is the most valuable to you. When you spend your life, it goes down. It doesn't come back. So, yes, you will lose it, like Jesus says. Now, if you love it, you won't let it go. You hold on to it. If you love your life, then hold on to it. Keep it until the very end, and when you're laying there on that bed, you have it with you, but no one else can touch it. No one else can have it. No one else is the recipient of the love that you have. 
Life is dynamic. It's not static. If I stand here and I don't do anything, I'm not living. Life is dynamic. It means that we need to move whether we move circumspectively or we move down. Jesus teaches that if you love your life, then lose it. If you love your life, then spend it wisely. But if you hold on to your life, you will lose it. Life's force is dynamic. It's always flowing whether you like it or not. It's always flowing. But you have the control of how it flows. In John chapter 7, verse 38, He that believeth on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, if we are not springing life from us, then there is no water that we can use. There is no life. Life is water. Water is life. Water is the thing that, that carries life with it. If the abundance of Jesus' life is the wellspring of water in you, the question is, where is that water flowing? To whom? Which part of your life is that water flowing? Life is the stream. It goes from person to person. Only a fool take that stream and redirect it back to himself. Because what happens is when you redirect water back into its source, you create a pool. And that pool is stagnant. And you don't want to know what grows in it. Life is meant to flow. To flow out. To flow away from you. The spring needs to flow out so that your life can benefit others, can carry life to others. But what happens if your life is polluted? There are two ways that life will stop. One is when the river stops. No river, no water, no life. And two, the water has been polluted. And so the quality of life suffers and carries with it disease, all kinds of pollutants into other people's lives. Rather, your life is dried. You don't affect anyone. But if your life is polluted. Now, we were cut off from the river of life in the garden. If you read the account of Genesis, in there you see that there were four rivers flowing. The rivers carry with it life for Eden. And when Adam sinned against God, he was kicked out of Adam. And in a way, symbolically cut off from the river of life. In the garden, there was the tree of life. In the garden, there was life. Outside of it, there was vengeance, Cain and Abel, and all the things that happened outside. The pollutant has entered in. But men, we were cut off from the source of the river. And sin not only disconnects us from the source of life, but it prevents us from knowing. If you never tasted the water of Eden, you never know what it tastes like. If you only tasted the water of this world, this life, that's all you know, and that's all you're comfortable with. Have you ever tried to taste this still water? I'm sure you don't like it. Sounds good. You won't like it. We're not used to it. We're used to water that has stuff in it. If it doesn't have stuff in it, we don't like it. Sin is like that. The purity of the thing has been lost from us. We don't know, we don't like. Although we have the ability we lack the moral capability to recognize God. And you will not come to me, 
that you might have life. You will not come, even though you know, you see him, you hear him. Jesus spoke, people heard, but they will not come to him because they are morally unable to come to him. They see, they know, but they reject because their mind has been polluted by listening to the devil. In the days of Jesus, Israel had the scriptures. They had it. And they thought they could find life within the scripture. They don't need anyone. Just me, my Bible, and that's it. That's all I need. I can tell the pastor what to do. I can read my Bible too. The source of life appeared to them, walked among them, but they rejected. No, we got Moses. We can read. But they read, but they didn't understand. They didn't have life. Because life is external to them. Life was outside. It's in front of them. They didn't, did not recognize the Messiah. As Christians, we can hold on to the idea of salvation and not the Savior. We can think that we have, in these words, we have somehow salvation, but we don't have the Savior. You cannot have salvation without the Savior. Without God's grace, you will not recognize the Son of Man even if He's standing right here. You can't. We cannot. We need the grace of God that changes. Then we can be born again. Everything God has a season. Water flows and then it stops. When the water from heaven stops, Elijah prophesies and rain stops. God told Elijah to go to the brook Kidron. And he went there for a season and then that stopped too. And then he must listen. Lord, where to next? You see, we don't have everything we need all the time. But we need God, instruction and guidance all the time. The brook will dry up. Anything that you have to enjoy right now, one day, soon, will dry up. The friendship, the fellowship, the love, the relationships, everything that we have will dry up. And then we need and we must know how to listen to God because God tells us where to go next. We get cut off because we can't handle it on our own. We can't handle life on our own. Giving us the freedom, the liberty that we have in the garden, and we lost it. We couldn't hold on to it. And so God sent His Son to take that water to us, to bring that water to us. And He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, I will be with you until the end of time. And so we don't possess that life but we have that life flowing through us. And if you try to contain it, if you try to hold on to it, just like manna, it will become stale. It will become bad. Life needs to flow and continuously flow through us. And so you need to tap yourself into the source of life, and that is Jesus Christ. You cannot just say, God, just give me this life. All I need is this life. I know what to do with it. I know how to take care of it. Give me this life. I'll do it on my own. I'll figure it out on my own. And so we take what God has given us and then we squander it. And then we think, oh, my father's house. Still there. All the possessions he gave his son, still there. In the storehouse, my son, you've been with me all this time. Everything I have is yours. You don't need to take it and take it with you and squander it. I still have. Jesus has it. Jesus has the life. We need to be connected to Jesus so that his life will flow through us. The moment that you take your possession with you, you will squander it and it will be gone. Second thing, pollution spoils the water. Can't use it. You have it, but you can't use it. Or you use it to detriment 
of your spiritual health and others. When the water is polluted, the quality of your faith suffers. The life and the outpouring of life is the outpouring of the knowledge of God. So what is life? Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 3, This is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. This is life. Life is knowing God. Now, the question is, do you know God? How do you know God? What are the sources that you come to for that knowledge? Is it pure? Is it right? Is it true? Or what are those streams that you're tapping into for your spiritual education, if anything at all? The transmission of knowledge determines the quality of the material, the raw material you use to build your spiritual house. Now, if you are fed the wrong material, if you are given straws and hay, wood and stubble, your house will collapse. But if you are given material that is pure, that is right, like gold, silver, stone, it will last. Have you ever questioned where you get your Christian education from? Have you ever questioned the sources of your belief? Who is inculcating the doctrines into your head? Check the sources. Make sure that the sources are not polluted. Because if you tap into the wrong sources, your faith suffers. The quality of your spiritual house deteriorates because the raw material is no good. Check the quality of the sources. Make sure the streams that you're tapping into is Jesus Christ. And it's not some version of it. It's not some repackaging of it, making it no longer pure. The river of life. John chapter 4, verse 14. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. River of life. Jesus gives the water that brings us life. Jesus is the only source of life for us. Do you know where he is? Are you attached and connect to him? Or are you going through an intermediary somewhere along the line, connecting you to him? Are we connected to the true Jesus Christ. But you say, well, he's not here anymore. How can I be connected to Jesus Christ? Yes, you can be connected to Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the water that flows, but we are the channels that carries that water. The first vessel that carried life was the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we crucify on that cross. That was the original vessel. We killed him. But when he rose from the dead, he called his disciples, and you recall, there were more than 500 of them. And they waited. They waited until the Holy Spirit come upon them and empowered them with power. That empowerment is the empowerment of the life that would then flow through them. Now the apostle knew Jesus, walked with Jesus, had a relationship with Jesus. They touched and felt him. Thomas put his hand into his side. Those same disciples went throughout Judea, Samaria, and beyond. The gospel spread. Everywhere they went, they taught the same thing. They were faithful. Peter says he was faithful. Whatever he heard, Luke said, whatever I saw, I hear, I transmit it to you. 
undefiled, unmixed with their thoughts and the interpretation of what they heard. They gave exactly, and people didn't understand and thought they were drunk and crazy. It's okay. That's the gospel. The gospel has power in itself to save. Disciples discipled others, and one of them was the Apostle Paul. Ananias came, laid his hand on Paul, and he received his sight. Became one of the greatest apostles, and through him, his own ministry, the Corinthians who hated him, were the recipient of the life of Jesus in whom flew through. It flowed through. And through that, we have the church fathers and the churches that connected to that throughout the ages. The persecution under Diocletian decimated the church. But still, they held on. Some of them held on. Others became heretical sects. But the true church still exists. Those who touch each other's lives continue to carry the same life force through them. That, that channel, that pipe that takes that water remained pure. There were other things that looked like it, but there were not. And I hope today the person whom I've received the gospel from had received it from someone tracing all the way back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you're not hearing the gospel. So tradition is important. Tradition is very important. If we don't have tradition, what is the word tradition means? Traditio means pass down. That's what it means in Latin. Pass down. Don't reject tradition because without tradition, you don't have anything. In this postmodern society, a post-postmodern society, we tend to reject anything and everything. But then everything is fine. Without tradition, there is nothing. There's no continuation of anything. But my tradition is the Lord Jesus Christ and those who came from him. And my job is to make sure I'm connected to the same source. Not polluted. Our master determined his holy life, that life that was meant for heaven and not for us, is to be spent on us. Unworthy. Those who would crucify him. Those who would one, one moment, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And in the moment, crucify him. We want Barabbas. He looked at the people who crucified him. He said, Father, forgive them. You must forgive them because I love them. It's not because they're worth it, but because my life worth to pay for all of their crimes against you. The life of Jesus determines our values, not the other way around. You are valuable because Jesus Christ died for you. He spent his life for us. That cross is the testament of our Lord's willingness to spend all of his life, that 33 years he spent with you and I. Your life is purchased. Jesus spent his life for us. See, Jesus did not hold on to his life, never married. When he was captured, everything left. Everyone left. It's recorded. They all forsook him and left when he was crucified. Nothing, not even his closest disciples, worthy to receive. But he counted us worthy because he spent his life. And because he spent his life, we are the recipient of that richness. So that through him, through the dispensation of his life, we may take hold of it 
and do what? And keep it and parade it through our circus? We need to take his life. We need to allow our lives to be transparent so that his life will flow through us into others' people, into others whose lives that he has determined to save. Spent for the gospel. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. The Apostle Paul, after being stoned at Iconium, he said, But none of these things moved me, neither I count my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy for the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. This is how the Apostle Paul is remembered. This is how he spent his life. I count not my life dear to myself. Life exchange for salvation. Jesus' life was exchanged for my salvation, for your salvation. That's what the cost of a life is. The value of the apostle's life was determined by what he spent it on. Those people that we now read hated him, exchanged his love for hatred. Those were the ones he spent his life for. The cost of our salvation demands life. Our life is worthless. We cannot use our life to repay for the sin that we committed against God. That's why it takes eternity. The damnation is eternity because our value is worthless. But Jesus Christ took his life and he gave us that life. And now we have the life, the eternal life of Jesus Christ, who is worthy eternally to not only compensate and make satisfaction for God for the sin, but overwhelmingly give us the abundance of joy. He spent his life, Christ spent his life to save his disciples and to save all those who listened to his disciples. Paul's in response to Christ's sacrifice laid down his own life. He looked at the Savior and the Savior died on the cross for him. And so he said, yeah, I count my life not dear to myself. I look at my Savior and he counted his life not dear to himself. He gave his life for me. And I believe the Apostle Paul took on that model. The model of the Lord Jesus Christ who counted not his life dear to himself. We took on the form of a servant and was made in a manner as man. Found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Paul, the same, with the same genre, having the same life, having the same life force in him, the same life that was crucified on that tree, it was in the Apostle Paul. So he said, I count my life not dear to myself. No, not the things that I want, no. All those I counted lost for the sake of Jesus Christ, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them but done, that I may win Christ. Life flows down. We lose it, but not really. We transmit it. We lose it from holding on to it. We lose it by letting it pass through us, undefiled, pure in its own essence to others. That's how life works. That's how life is supposed to be, flowing from the life of Jesus Christ through the disciples, throughout the millennia to us. And now, will it stop with us? Will we redirect that life back to ourselves and create the cesspool? Life has to flow from us. It must flow from us for it to be life. Otherwise, it's stagnant and it's dead. It's just a pool without life in it. And things will start growing in that pool. The things that you don't want. But if life flows through you, there's renewal, there's newness, there's joy, there's gladness, 
because it's constantly renewing, changing, and flowing. We lose purpose of life when we spend our time circling ourselves. The things that happened before and now it's the same thing moves. And pretty soon we let it sit undisturbed. And then on that bed, we don't know what our lives have been about. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. Behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you, the Apostle Paul. I love this man. All he wanted to do is to come visit the churches. And I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. Now listen to this. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Life flows down. There's no demands from Paul's part of anyone whom he shared his life with. There's no demands. Life flows down. Children ought not to lay up. No, he doesn't want their reciprocation of love. He counted the cost. Paul stipulated the cost he was willing to pay with his life. He determined that he would not love his life. I count not my life dear to myself. He spent his life on those who hated him as the Lord commanded him. What is love if you love someone who loves you? Don't thieves do the same thing? The Corinthians' repayment of hatred to Paul's life was a token of his obedience. I'm the parent. You're the children. It's okay for you to hate me. It's okay for you to despise me because that's what children do until they grow up. It's okay that I come after you and clean up after you. It's okay. That's what parents do. It's okay that you raise your voice and you stand in argument. It's okay because you're the child. I'm the parent. You don't have to lay anything for me. You don't have to sacrifice me. It's the other way around. Life flows down. The Apostle Paul says, it's okay, Corinthians. It's okay for you to hate me. But it's not okay for you to hate those that you minister to. They can hate you. That's how we change the world. You see, if you expect other people to love you because you love them, nothing is changed. But if you love those who hate you, you love those who will not reciprocate, that's when love changes. That's when life changes. That's when you affect this life. It's when you're willing to say, it's okay, it's okay to hate me. It's okay not to reciprocate. I'm okay with that. Because that's what parents do. That's what parents do. Children ought not to lay up for the parents. John chapter 10, verse 10, 11. This is how Jesus spent his life. The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I come that they might have life. And they might have it more abundantly. Now this is how they have it. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. This is how he spent his life. The sheep, all it wants is water. It doesn't even know whether that water is clean or not. The shepherd is the one who takes care of the sheep. And he wants a place to rest, the green pasture. And the sheep, he wants to be protected. He sees the wolves, doesn't know what to do. He's waiting for the shepherd to protect it. That's what parents do. That's what the Lord does for us. 
He doesn't expect us to know yet until we come to maturity. Ever learning, but we need to come to maturity. We need to come to the place where we become parents and begin to sacrifice. That's how life and love flows through us. The gospel message revolves around the Lord's sacrifice. It's always the cross, the sacrifice, the resurrection. Without that, there is no gospel. He gave his life for us. He gave his life for you and I. What will we do with that life? How will you spend your life? What cost are you willing to pay? Will the Lord's life flow through you or become stagnant in you? Those are the questions we must ask. Here's the love that's undemanding. Very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Glad to spend, the Apostle Paul says. I will very gladly spend. This life must be spent, and it must be spent for you, those, yes, who hate me. What motivated the Apostle Paul? Not only to be willing, but gladly spend for the Corinthians. The life that the Apostle Paul received was not his own. It wasn't his. He was a recipient of this grace. Jesus has given him through his own sacrifice for this man who thought he was doing God a favor by persecuting the church. Concerning zeal, persecuted the church. is one of his laurel, is one of his badge of honor. I persecuted the church in the name of God. And he received, on his way to Damascus, a voice spoke to him, Paul, or Saul, rather. Jesus says, it's my life for you, the one that persecuted me, the one that held the clothes so that people would stone my servant, Stephen, to death. And he heard the voice of Jesus, Saul, I love you. Yes, you, the one that's persecuting me the one that hates me, the one that goes around and round up Christians and throwing them in prison and saying that you're doing it in the name of my Father. I love you. I gave my life for you. Here's my life. And that's the beauty. That is the power of Christ's love. He's able to take his life and give it to those who rejects it. Irresistible, yes. Irresistible grace. And the, the Apostle Paul responds, Galatians, finally, when he matures, he says, Galatians 2.20, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Christ liveth in him. Christ liveth in me. That's what he said. Christ, my life is not my own. I've been purchased with a price. Therefore, I will be gladly spent and be spent for you because it is Jesus Christ that I'm given to those who are not deserving but need it. You need his life even though you reject it. You don't know that you need it. You reject his life. You reject this life that will give you eternity. You reject it because in your mind and in your heart, you hate him, but he gives it to you. And that's the power of the gospel. And the, the apostle says, this is why I'm gladly, I gladly take what the Lord has given me because he counted me worthy, a vessel of honor. You see, there are many kinds of vessels in this life. 
There are some that set for honor and there are some that set for dishonor. And the Apostle Paul is one that has the name of God inscribed on the vessel. And he counted, it is his honor to behold the life of the, the Son of God who has given his life for him. And in this vessel, he carried this life. And what will he do with it? I will gladly spend and be spent for you. Yes, on the Corinthians who hate him. And he pulled out the life of Jesus Christ. He counted as an honor. Lord, you have used me. You have pulled your life into me. Now I want to pull out my life to those that are most undeserving, those who will respond with hatred. And that's why he said, I will gladly spend, Corinthians. I will gladly spend for you. The more I spend, the more I love you, the less I be loved. And that is, that is the exchange that we need. Because we need to exchange love and take hatred. We need to dispense the love of Christ and take the hatred. Because only Christ can turn that hatred into nothing. And so if you let those who hate continue to hate each other, that hatred will propagate it. It will become these poles and these streams that will carry this hatred all around you. But if you take it, give me the poor. Give me the destitute. Give me those that are rejected. Give it to me. That was the old America. But it's still the message of the church. Give me those who are abandoned. Give me those who have nothing but hatred. Give me those who have rejected everything. Give me those. I will take those and I will exchange to you the love of Jesus Christ. That's why he said, I will be very gladly spent and be spent for you because I get a chance to take your hatred and give you the love of Jesus Christ. Oh, taste and see, the psalmist says in, verse, in chapter 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If all you knew, all your life is hatred. If all you knew is this reciprocal hatred for hatred, stone for stone, darkness for darkness, anger for anger, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, if that's all you know, then of course, you'll be filled with rage and hatred and anger and resentment. But taste and see. Here's the Lord. It's okay for you to reject me. It's okay for you to respond. But taste the Lord and see. And when the Lord's grace is upon you, and when the Lord's hope is upon you, you will see that the Lord is good. You will see that the Lord is merciful. That you will see that there is a love that surpasses all understanding. The Lord loves you. It's okay. You can respond to him. You can come and say, God, I'm angry. God, I'm upset. I don't know why these things happen. And the Lord says, okay. You can give it to my servants. Who are his servants? Who are those who say, it's okay, come. Taste and see. The Lord is good. Reciprocity is not required. You don't have to respond in love. They don't have to respond in love. But we must respond in love. The power of the Christian love is in its wanting nothing in return. Nothing in return. No. Nothing. Really, it is free. Really, it's given for you. Freely. Freely. Without money. You don't have to come to God carrying with you bags of material things or money to purchase from Him. He said, come, purchase from me without money. There's no requirement for payment here. The evidence of this love is spending one's life for those who are unworthy to receive it. The more abundantly I love you, I know you will hate me. But I will be gladly, I will be very gladly spent and be spent for you. 
Only then will love triumph over hatred. Father, we come to you. Lord, would you allow the life of your Son, Jesus Christ, to flow through us? Let it not stop here at the doors of our fears, but bursting forth, Lord, into the dark places, the light shines brighter, and into the corners and the avenues that fill with hatred and fears and anger and resentment. May your light shine through and shine into these darkness through those who carry this light among this crooked and perverse nation. You said, among whom we shine as light of the world, holding forth the word of truth. Lord, would you, would you use us, Lord, as willing vessels? Lord, we don't know, but if you place your hand on us, we know that you have chosen us, that you have given us life, and that through our lives, Lord, that we will turn, that we will turn those who are in fear, and through that fear, they hate, and they resent, and they agonize over this feeling that they can't, they can't shake off. Give us, Lord, the words to say. Give us the prayer to pray. Give us the hands to be able to lay on those who need a touch of God. Give us, Lord, the, the humility to come to you and say, God, give me the strength to be shout down and still okay. Give me the strength to be hated and still be okay. Lord, give us the capacity to love, not with our own ability, but by your grace and by your life flowing through us into those who hear the gospel undefiled through us. And I pray for this church, Lord, in these coming days that we hold on to Jesus. Bring revival, Lord, to every heart, every soul. Revive us again, Lord, and bring us back to the source of this life. By this life, live abundantly and joyously and that this world will be turned to you in love. We thank you, Lord, for the days that has gone by, for the things that we have enjoyed, for the fellowship and for the friendship that you cultivated through your Son, Jesus Christ, the conversation that we had in you. We thank you, Lord, and continue to push us forward into the life that you have ordained for each one of us. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.